0: find Genesis chapter 6 in your Bible or smartphone or whatever you have with you. We've got a few weeks left talking about this man Noah. My mic's not on? Are you sure? I can hear me. Has it been off the whole time? I feel great. My green light is on. Oh, Okay, very good. Maybe, maybe you're all, all your ears were off. Maybe that's what the problem was. Genesis chapter six. And one thing to pray for as we dive in tonight, a friend of ours in the six thirteen community, Jeanette, uh, was hit by a car a couple of weeks ago. Was we walking down the street and a guy plowed into her, didn't see her. She was on a crosswalk, and so she's been in the critical care at Eden for a couple weeks. And uh, we've been praying for it. Wanted to let you guys in on that so you can be praying for her too. Um, hopefully. I know where John went, but John was telling me she's getting a little bit better. Um, so hopefully she kind of comes too soon and starts talking and all that. But they got to do surgery and all that. So pray for Jeanette. We'll do that. There's John. We'll do that uh, together tonight. But Genesis 6 is what we'll read in a moment. But let me, uh, let me pray for our night. Let me pray for Jeanette, and then I'll read Genesis 6. Father, on one hand, we're comforted when we look around this room and see so many people who have come to bring glory and honor to you, and and we pause in this moment to remember that there are folks who aren't here. We think of Jeanette tonight, who's uh, in the hospital and uh, struggling. We pray that you would give her comfort and you would heal her, uh, give her rest as she's there, and guide the uh, minds and the hands of her doctors and comfort her family. Pray for people who aren't here for other reasons, people who are wandering people who are lost, people who are struggling or suffering, people who are uh, stranded uh, on the side of the road wishing they were here, we pray that you would uh, be with them and that you would use us to minister to the folks in our family who um, aren't sitting next to us tonight. Uh, We pray that uh, if there's anyone in our own minds that you've put there that need to be here and part of this community, that you would use us to um, reach out, minister to people, and that you would use us in that way pray that as we look at the story of Noah and a man who had a great clear mission, that we would recognize uh, what your mission is for us. And let us celebrate that. Amen. Amen. That was a ringtone right there. That was a ringtone right there. Turned our morning into dancing. Genesis chapter 6. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I think he got to name them. That's My wife would not let me name my sons those names. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Last week we talked about how every thought of the human heart was always evil all the time. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door on the side and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Do you ever wish that God would give you a clear mission like that? How many of you have ever prayed that God would give you a very direct, distinct mission in your life? Like, God, just tell me what to do. I've had a number of times in my life where I've just said, okay, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing with this thing on this planet. And I go up before the Lord and say, God, just please, just tell me. You know, when we go through the silly things, we say, God, just give me a sign. You know, maybe you want me to go into missions. And so you're looking around for, like, Mission Boulevard. Like, okay, you know. And, <laughs> and then the light dies on Mission Boulevard. No, not that, not that, you know. Sometimes we sit at our desk at work and we think, there's got to be more to life than this. God, you call me out. I'm out. You tell me to leave this place, I'm out, God, maybe you have another job, let the phone ring now. (laughs) Now, now, and we wait, and we hope, and we try to figure out how we're supposed to find out what God wants from us, because so many times, so many of us really want God to do something big through us, and it's not because we're so prideful, you know, maybe some of you are prideful, but most of us aren't, right, we... We, we just want to be used by God. We, we love him. We know that he has great plans for this earth, and we want to be part of it. We think of a guy named like Noah, and we think, I don't need to be in any history book somewhere, but I want my life to have significance. You hear about people who leave everything, and they move overseas into missions, and I think, is that it? I don't want to kind of outstep the spirit. and say, God, just tell me. I'm in. Just tell me. Sometimes we walk down the street and we walk through our lives and we walk around at home and we say, God, I want to learn how to hear from you. How does that work? You just say stuff in my mind. Is it audible? Do I just kind of follow the hunches that I have and assume it's from you? How do I know what's from you? I found a lot of times in my life just wishing that I had a clear directive from the Lord. Because Noah's life sounds epic. In Noah's life, Genesis 6 sounds like a movie trailer, doesn't it? In a world full of corruption, where sin and chaos reigned at every corner, one man was righteous in the sight of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. It's like, wow, you know? In a world where everyone is on Facebook all day, there was one man who got on his knees and prayed and said, God, give me something bigger to do. This is the story of Danny, right? That's that's what I want. Because Noah's life is epic. My life, I'm just kind of twiddling my thumbs waiting to hear an audible voice from heaven telling me what to do. God comes to Noah and says, I want you to build an ark. Noah says, I'm in. And we get that. You know, that's a big project, but we get that. Because if God came to you and said, I want you to do something big for me, you would say, yes. God said, I want you to move overseas. And it was so clear and so audible, you would say, yes. If God said, I want you to marry this woman, you'd say, yes, finally, right? (laughs) If God said, I want you to do this thing for me, just I need you to do it. I'm going to trust you, human. All of us w- would probably say yes to God because a that 's scary to say no to God <laughs> and b that 's the thing we 've been waiting for for so long, just clear direction, God, what do I do? Just tell me. And we feel like those are the kinds of prayers that god, god would want to answer, wouldn't he and god 's in heaven, he sees all these humans, and some of them like him and know him and And a few of them get on their knees and they say, God, just tell me what to do. Don't you think God would say, oh, thanks for telling me you want that. Here it is. You open up your Bible and he highlights something for you. You open up your notebook and a magical hand is writing something. I feel like that's the kind of prayer that God would want to answer. And yet so many of us spend so much time in our lives looking for that answer and wondering, God, why isn't it clear? We go through seasons of discouragement. I've been going through this job over and over again, and and I know I serve you there, and I work with my heart, and I serve you, not my boss. I get that, but is there more than this? God, I, I make money, I go home, I feed my family, I go to church, I take the kids to practice, I do this, I do that, but is there more than this? We're waiting for that phone to ring because we want more than this. And if God would just tell us what it is, we would say, yes, like Noah, who said, yes, God, I'm in. Build an ark of gopher wood. That's not the word of the Lord for you. Don't build an ark of gopher wood. The but... funny thing is when you start to read that story of Noah, you, you see that the project's a pretty big one. <laughs> I don't know what Noah was thinking when God first started talking to him. Noah, I'm going to destroy all the earth. It's like, But I find favor in you, Noah. (sighs) I want you to build a boat on it. I want it to be 450 feet long. What? I want it to be, what was it, 30 cubits high, 45 feet high? I want it to be 75 feet that way. I want it to be a three-story boat. This is in the days before table saws, right? This is... (laughs) Unlike the movie, how many of you saw the Noah movie? Some of those things based more on kind of mystical Jewish tradition than reality. There were no rock monsters helping Noah. There weren't these... That was in the movie. You can see it if you'd like. That that didn't happen. It's just Noah, right? Right? I want you to spend this next season of your life, Noah, 100 years building the Titanic by yourself. That's kind of the opposite of the Titanic, but the Titanic by yourself. Three-story boat, huge, hundreds of feet. I've always tried to figure out how I can make like a scalable, like this is how big it is. I can't figure it out. It's really, really big, 450 feet long. That is what, one and a half football fields long. One guy without nails. I don't know how he did that. I guess maybe there were nails. Cover it with pitch inside and out. It should be waterproof, Noah. It's going to have to float for a while. And bring in your, your wife and your kids and their wives and two of every animal in existence and enough food for every animal in existence of every kind Because after this flood, what's left in that boat will walk out onto the planet and begin to repopulate the thing. So if you let the raccoons die, they're gone forever. (laughs) Dinosaurs didn't make it, I guess. It's It's a big project. It's funny, a lot of times when God gives you something big to do, or gives you this glimpse of your future, like the the project itself sounds awesome, right? I want to be the guy who builds the boat, right? I want to build the 450-foot boat and bring all the giraffes on it. I want that to be me. But then when you start thinking about the actual stuff it would take to get that project done, that's when it gets overwhelming. You know, God says, I want you to move to Africa. I want you to move to South America. I want you to move to Europe, wherever. And I want you to be a missionary there. It's like, yes, finally, some clarity. And then we realize, okay, I got a fundraise. Like, oh, man, I got a fundraise. <laughs> I gotta ask my family to support me. And when you get there, you're gonna have to share the gospel with people. Like, oh man, I don't even like to do that here. I don't wanna do that there. <laughs> Sometimes the big picture sounds great, but the details, that's the scary part. When you think about Noah, this is, I mean, a man who lived to 900 and something years old. So, you know, people lived a lot differently back then. But 100 years of his life, he's gonna devote himself to building this boat. 100 years. What if God told you, I want, to spend, I want you to spend 100 years on this project? You'd start to think, well, what about my friends? It's like, ah, oh, they're going to die at the end anyway. <laughs> <laughs> on one hand, it sounds great to be that man who populates the planet and starts everything over. But on the other hand, you've got 100 years of building a project that everyone's going to make fun of you for. You're going to build this giant boat. And after spending this hundred years not spending time with humans because you're building this boat, not spending this time enjoying the world because you're on this project, not spending your time doing the things that people love to do in this world because you're on this project, everyone dies, you are in this boat, it floats for a while, then you come back out and it's just you and your family in a desolate world. Life on the other side of the ark seems worse than life before the ark. God says, No, I I want you to forsake all of your relationships in this world besides your family. I want you to live this lonely existence for a hundred years, and then I want you to float in this boat while everything dies, and I want you to come back and walk amidst all of the carnage and corpses and rotting flesh and populate this barren wasteland. Will you do that for me? That's a scary project. God calls us to do something. We, we like to think about the, the sexy big picture, right? Moving to Africa, having a biography about us someday, changing the world and taking names, right? But the details are usually pretty rough. I've done a couple projects at my house, and they are not as big as a boat. Built a little playhouse for my kids, I ripped out a wall and put in a new wall. Uh, I built a little bench last weekend. And and no matter how long the project takes, if it's a week or three weeks or a month or whatever, by like 60% through, I'm sick of it. Like, I'm done. (laughs) I'm done my house being a mess. I'm done with having to work on this all the time. I'm done with my back being sore. I'm done with being scared I'm going to chop off my finger every time I pull the trigger on the saw. I'm done. Like, I'm done with sawdust. I'm done with sneezing and the sawdust in my boogers. I'm done with all of that. (laughs) And then I've got like 40% of the project left. Imagine if you were on a project for 100 years, building the world's biggest boat by yourself, With your kids who you're saying, trust me, God said it's going to rain. And you get sick of it. I don't know how big the lumber was. I don't know how he milled it. I don't know any of that. But I know that 100 years is a long, long time, even if you lived to 900. It's a long time. And Noah just kept plugging away and plugging away and plugging away. Because Noah said yes to God's crazy boat project. Sometimes we hope that God would give us something big to work on, and then when we actually hear about what it might look like, it's like, oh, actually, I don't know after all. <laughs> There's been a couple times in my life where I felt like God was leading me in a certain direction, and it sounds great, and I start walking that direction, and then it gets scary. And what if my friends don't like me? What if I don't have the money to do this? What if my wife thinks this is crazy? What if my kids don't like this? What if I don't meet anybody out there? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And it gets scary. Sometimes we're so often praying that God would give us something to do, but then when it comes, it's terrifying. Noah devoted this huge chunk of his life. The, I mean, the last 100 years of everyone else's life but his, going after this project that he hoped he heard right from God, he hoped he wasn't wasting his time. He, he knew God had called him to this. And, and he plugged away and plugged away and plugged away and had no idea what life on the other side was going to look like. And Hebrews chapter 11 says that's the, that's the life of faith. Faith is being confident of what you're hoping for and having assurance of things you can't see. Hebrews chapter 11 says that Noah was a man of faith that against all hope. Let me read it for you. This is Hebrews chapter 11. I was about to just remember, or tell you the Abraham part. This is the Hebrews chapter 11. By faith Noah, in verse 7, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. When warned about things not yet seen. There was a future that God told him about, but he couldn't see it. And so he devoted his life to saving his family, even though it meant costing them everything, hoping that the future God promised was not made up and was real. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as in his inheritance, Abraham obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. That's a different kind of life. I and mean, The Abraham story is a crazy one too. And we won't go into it tonight. But God tells Abraham, I want to give you the land that my people will inherit forever and ever and ever. I'm going to give you that land and I promise you, I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky as copious as the grains of sand on the seashore. That's how many offspring you'll have. And so Abraham indeed shows up in the promised land, although God's people did not have it yet. So like the author of Hebrews says, he was a stranger in this promised land. And he had one son of the promise, Isaac, who had one son, Jacob, who had 12 sons, I won't name them all, who finally started picking up steam and populating that place and taking over that land. The author of Hebrews reminds us that Abraham lived his life in the future. That he sat there in this land that was not yet God's land or God's people's land. He was sitting in this promise of God that he would have countless descendants even though he had one kid. And yet he followed God into the darkness because 12 or 15 generations down the line God's promises would be fulfilled Noah followed God into the darkness to build this ark to repopulate the earth even though by the time Noah died the world was still worse than it was when it started in a sense mean his kids were there that's good his grandkids were there maybe his great grandkids were there before Noah died but God said here's what I want to do I want to use your family to take over the globe like all of us are descendants of Noah he didn't see that he devoted his life walking after something that not only could he not see, but the author of Hebrews tells us something that he never saw while he was alive. He walked in the darkness his whole life because he trusted the one who made the promise that he would fulfill it in the future. Hebrews says that, that's what a life of faith is life of faith is saying yes to the big picture of God even though we don't know what the answer is. Even though we don't know what lies in the darkness. Even though sometimes the life that we lead will not have great effects for hundreds of years. And some of you are following the Lord and he's got great plans for you. Great plans to rise up an amazing family of faith through you and you will have no kids who are believers And no grandkids who are believers. And no great-grandkids who are believers. But then your great-great-grandchild will find the Lord somehow through you. And then hundreds of descendants will come out of your line. But you're going to spend the next 80 years thinking that your life has been fruitless because all of your work is falling apart. In a way, that's the life of faith. It's trusting that even though sometimes we never see results... God's going to work through us somehow, in some way, in his future, someday. We love results. That's why we love those big ideas from God. I'm going to go and move to Africa because that's a thing, right? I'm in Africa. I did it. I'm in South America. I did it. I started this organization. I've got my 501c3. I did it. I accomplished something. God did something through me. What we want is sight. And what God advocates is faith. And faith is a life where we pursue something that we can't see, but we can see the vision past our lives into the future. And we always want to be that person, that one righteous man in the world. That one righteous man already lived. His name was Jesus. He already lived. That's not you. You're not going to be that one righteous person who saves the world. The world has already been saved by Jesus, not you. But the mission that God has given to all of us is that we might go out and make disciples of all nations. God says, I have a kingdom that's coming in the future. And someday every tongue will confess that Jesus, Lord. Someday every knee will bow. Someday all wrongs will be made right. Someday, someday everyone will have food to eat. Someday there will be no more tears. Someday there will be equity in this world and justice in this world. Someday mercy will reign. Someday people will follow the Lord and worship the Lord. Someday this world will look like that. The life of faith is saying, I'm going to live my life today what it's going to look like someday. And even though everyone just makes fun of me and says I'm dumb because of it, I'm gonna do it anyway because even though they say I'm blind and they can see, that's not true, it's the opposite. Because what I see is like a thousand years into the future and I might never see that in my lifetime, maybe I will. But I'm trusting into the darkness that I will follow that vision that God laid out of his kingdom, this imperishable kingdom, Someday we're going to get there. And so I live my life in this place as a stranger like Abraham. And Peter says, live your life like strangers here in reverence, fear. Pretend like you're just passing through. That your home is not this place. Your home is in the kingdom of God. And you're here in this world as a kingdom citizen. And someday your kingdom will come. And the life of faith is saying, okay, I see that. I'm going to live as if I'm going there. And I might never walk into the kingdom of God in this lifetime. I might never see all the wrongs made right in this lifetime. People will never believe me when I tell them that forgiveness is better than judgment in this lifetime. My family may never listen to me in this lifetime. My friends will may ridicule me in this lifetime, but I will live for the next lifetime trusting that that's the best pathway towards it, even though I might not just walk into it someday. Faith is a lot of times walking blindly but walking blindly towards a visible future that's still invisible at the same time. That's a scary life. It's a scary life because people will make fun of you for that. People will tell you you're dumb when you spend your money like that. People will tell you that you're lame when you stop and help someone who needs help. People say that there's no reason that you should do the things that you're doing, that any logical person wouldn't live their life like you're living it, but you're not a logical person. You don't figure out what to do by looking around and seeing what's happening and making the most logical decision. You figure out what's the best thing to do by looking at the future that God is developing and looking at his, world, his word that reveals that and making that type of logical decision. John, the apostle John, calls Jesus the logos, the logic. That Jesus is ultimate logic. So if you want to make a logical decision, do what Jesus tells you to do. That's logic. He's the one who came into the world, and he was the only one who looked right, truly right. But the world said there's something wrong with this guy. So the question is, are you going to follow his logic, or are you going to follow the world's logic? Because faith doesn't make logical sense in, in the sense of this world. Faith is walking towards something no one can see but you. <laughs> Imagine what people thought about Noah building the boat. Imagine what people thought when Abraham said, I'm going to leave this place and I'm going to go dwell in this random land because God's going to give it to my great-grandkids. But he did it, and God came through, but he never saw it in his lifetime. Peter also tells us that the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to us They searched intently with the greatest care, trying to figure out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of God in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings and the glories of Christ. That these prophets were just trying to wrap their minds around what is God doing? I'm just writing these things in the Bible about Jesus, they didn't know that, about who, whoever, the Messiah, and I don't get it, but they just kept writing it. Peter says, they weren't serving themselves, they were serving you. Isn't that crazy? There's a chance that you're going to live your life not serving yourself, not serving your immediate family, but serving generations to come. That people will be affected 100 or 600 years from now because of the way you live. And there's a chance that when you do that, you'll see no effect in your lifetime. You think of prophets in the Bible that God called to have fruitless ministries. Just keep preaching just to show the world that they are not listening. And those prophets affect us. Those prophets convict us. Those prophets transform us, but they made zero effect when they were walking the earth. And sometimes God gives us a big vision of where we're supposed to go. Other times, He gives us a big vision through His Word of where we're supposed to go. Make disciples of all nations. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Live your life like it's described in the scripture. Live your life to look forward to this kingdom that's coming. And maybe he'll tell you to go to Africa while you're doing it. Until he does, do it here. Love the Lord every day. Love the people around you. And trust that even though that doesn't make logical sense sometimes, that if you want to be used by God, you simply cling to him. Jesus says, abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you won't do anything. Cling to me. Pray to me. Read my word. Let my words dwell in you. Go and tell people about me. Show people about me. Let your dwelling be found in me and you will have a fruitful life. That doesn't mean you'll see a bunch of fruit necessarily. Hopefully we do. That's cool. But the faith-filled life is a life where sometimes we feel like we're stumbling around in the darkness, but we're trusting that God is using us to build into a future that we can't see yet. It's not as exciting as being called to go to Cambodia, being called to save the world. But When you trust the Lord and walk with him on the journey of life, you get glimpses of that. You get glimpses of lives transformed. You get glimpses of wrongs made right. You get glimpses of good things happening. and Maybe that's all we get in this lifetime sometimes, but we're not living for this lifetime, are we? Let's pray together. And then let's remember our dependence on Christ through communion together. Father, we admit to you, we want to be like Noah. We want a really cool calling that's awesome and different and changes the world. Father, tonight we realize that that's exactly what we have. It's called us to deny ourselves. It's called us to serve people relentlessly. You've called us to tell every creature about Jesus. You've called us to make disciples of all nations. You've called us to pray without ceasing. You've called us to be your children. You've called us to exist as salt and let our light shine as light. You've called us to this radical way of living where we give up ourselves to benefit others, to tell people about you and show people about you and to worship you. You call us to gather together and sing praises to the one who called us out of darkness and into his glorious light. You've given us a crazy radical calling and we admit that so often we don't realize it's awesome because we don't see anything happen. We pray that you would give us glimpses of your kingdom breaking through. That you'd give us opportunities to see those wrongs made right and those lives transformed. And yet we pray that between those instances that we would cling to you. We'd stay on the path. We'd recognize that your word is a light to our path and a lamp and to our feet and that we would follow it and that we would recognize that your word is Jesus and we would follow him and tonight as we take this communion meal together I pray that you would remind us that life's not about being successful life is found by sticking to him that we're not entrepreneurs we're branches and you call us to abide in the vine As we eat of this bread and drink of this juice, let us remember the one who died and rose for our life. Let us cling to him, be nourished by him, and let us grow out of him into fruitfulness that blesses all nations on earth, that blesses all peoples in this community, that blesses everyone around us as we give up ourselves to cling to you and serve others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.